Good afternoon, everyone. Um, let me ask you, uh, how many of you feel, or let me ask it this way, how does it feel to go through a four-year course <laughs> in a matter of uh, <laughs> a few days? <laughs> Um, I just want to share some things with you quickly before we get into our message. Um, uh, just some practical uh, uh, things here. Very quickly, how many of you have ever heard of a Bible software program called eSword? Ooh, okay. Maybe I don't need to make an announcement then. <laughs> Um, for those of you who do not know of it, who are interested in uh, getting the tools you need to, to understand the Bible, eSword is a free Bible software program. You can uh, download that program at e-sword.net. They have uh, uh, um, free Bibles, uh, concordance, um, commentaries, tools right at the tip of your fingers, literally speaking. And... Um, uh, I would just encourage you, download as much as you can, and uh, the more you use it, the more you will learn how to use it. Okay, so just an encouragement um, that you don't have to go out and, and buy a, an actual concordance uh, or buy hard copies of things. You can actually, if you have a laptop or a desktop, just download it to your computer, and uh, you don't need to go back online to use it. You can use it anywhere. So, um, anyway, just want to share that tidbit, um, esword.net, e-sword.net. Yes. You know, uh, no, they don't, they don't. Uh, by the way, they do have the uh, Ellen White um, uh, resource CD that is now available for $19. Uh, that's everything, including the writings of the pioneers. Say again. It can be used, if you have a Mac, you have to be running Parallels or um, uh, Boot Camp to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to have it on your computer. So anyway, um, let's... Uh, jump right into the message but before we do that i want to let you know be prepared we are going to break up and we're going to have a breakout session something similar to yesterday this breakout session however is going to challenge your creativity you didn't look excited <laughs> okay so be prepared and uh let's talk to our father Heavenly Father, we ask that you would please speak to us today. Open our eyes that we may again behold wondrous things. Make every thought clear, Lord. Father, you know that since I came into this church, I've only wanted to do your will. And Lord, I'm amazed that 
you have me here doing what I'm doing now. Yes, Lord, it is true. Some people may wonder what right do I have to stand before your people. And I know I have none, Lord, except you. And so, Lord, please, again, open our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's open to Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Today's uh, study is going to be unique, perhaps not what you expected, but nonetheless, I believe, vital to an understanding of the Word of God. Isaiah 26, verse 3. When you have that, say amen. amen. Let's read that together. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. God's desire is to keep our minds continually stayed or focused upon him. Think about that. Have you ever tried to think about something for more than 10 minutes straight? <laughs> it's a hard task. And yet God says, I want you to keep your mind, what? Stayed on me. How in the world do we accomplish that? Well, remember that little notepad I told you about? <laughs> that notepad I told you to walk around with in your pocket is kind of there to help train you to do what? Keep thinking on Jesus. Keep thinking on his word. God wants us to continually, what's the word I just used? Continually think on him. In the Old Testament, the uh, table of showbread, who knows what that represented? The bread of life, the word of God. Man shall not live by what? Bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you know that the, t the table of showbread was called the bread of the continual presence? Did you know that? The bread of the continual presence. Indicating that we are to ever have our minds stayed upon the word of God. The Hebrew word that is used there in connection with the table of showbread, when it says the word continual, is the Hebrew word tamid. Anybody ever heard that Hebrew word before? Tamid. It is the same word used in the book of Daniel when the Bible says that Antichrist or Satan will, will try to take away the daily. The Hebrew word there is the Tamid. 
Now, there are some people who think the Tamid represent one thing, and there are some people who think the Tamid represents another thing, and I'm not going to get into that today. All I'm saying is that could it be possible that one of the things the devil wants to take away is us staying continually focused upon the Word of God? Could that be a reason why he has Hollywood on the scene? And all these other things that are designed to make it difficult for us to have a Tamid experience with God. What do you think? Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And that's why, beloved, we need the mind of Jesus. Let this mind, Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 32, verse 8, I will teach thee and instruct thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide you with whose eye? Mine eye. We want to see as God sees. We want to see the scripture as Jesus sees the scripture. You know, I've wondered something about Jesus. By the way, Jesus is the ultimate teacher. Amen? Amen. He is the best teacher. And if we want to learn, who better to learn from than from Jesus? At the age of 12, Jesus confounded the scholars of his day. You know, as I've looked at the teaching of Jesus, I've said, man, Lord, please, I want to teach the way that you teach. You know what's inter interesting about Jesus? Have you ever wondered how it was that Jesus could keep the attention of a child, a teenager, an adult, and an elderly person all at the same time. Wow. I mean, from the same message, little kids were like, wow. The elderly were like, wow. You know, everybody was, didn't matter your background, your, everyone, wow. I want to teach like that. You know, if there's anyone I want to teach like, it's like Jesus. How about you? Anybody want to teach like Jesus? And so all we need to do is, is figure out how it is that Jesus was able to connect such a diverse group of people with diverse backgrounds, be able to talk to them in the same message sometime and have everyone walk away going, oh, wow. Some of you may be aspiring to be pastors. I don't know. Bible workers. Maybe not. Maybe you just want to know how to witness to your friends uh, uh, you know, at your job or your family or whatever, the best way for us to learn how to teach is to do it the way Jesus did it. Make sense? Listen to the book, Child Guidance, page 51. Listen to what Ellen White tells us about Jesus' mode of teaching. The birds of the air, the lilies of the field, the sower and the seed, the shepherd and the sheep. With these, Christ illustrated, what did he do? Mortal truth. He drew illustrations. He drew what, everyone? Also from the events of life. From what? From facts of experience. Familiar to the hearers, the leaven, 
The hid treasure, the pearl, the fishing net, the lost coin, the prodigal son, the houses on the rock, and the sand. In his lessons, there was something to interest every mind, to appeal to every heart. Thus, the daily task, instead of being a mere round of toil, bereft of higher thoughts, was brightened and uplifted by constant reminders of the spiritual and the unseen. So we should teach, is the last sentence. So, you know, before the shepherd would be out in his field taking care of the sheep, this is boring and mundane. Then he would go and he'd hear Jesus give an illustration about the sheep. And the next time he, every time he looked at the sheep, get, oh, man, now I get it. Let me read it again. Thus the daily task. How many of you can think of daily tasks? <laughs> the title of the message today is, well, let me do it this way. The title of our message Friday, or Wednesday night was The Nature of the Book. The title of the message today is The Book of Nature. The Book of of nature. Notice with me Psalm 19, verse 1 through 3. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 3. Beloved, I believe that what God is ultimately trying to do is he's trying to put on each and every one of us gospel glasses. Gospel glasses, what do gospel glasses do? Gospel glasses allows you to look at the ordinary, ordinary everyday life tasks and see illustrations of immortal truths. It allows us to look at nature. Notice with me Psalm 19 Verse 1 through 3, the heavens declare the glory of God. What do they do, everyone? They declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. We're told that nature itself reveals the glory of God. When is the last time you looked at a tree? And said, oh, wow. Now, not oh, wow. <laughs> but oh, wow. The tree is not God. The tree simply reflects the glory of God. A tree reflecting the glory of God? Pastor, what are you talking about? This is the same way the Pharisees thought of Jesus. What kind of crazy illustrations are you using, Jesus? That doesn't make sense. They couldn't see the lessons he was trying to point them to. Beloved, I believe that if we look at nature, we will see the glory of God. How many of you believe that? Can anyone tell me where Ellen White says Jesus will be coming from? In the universe. Where will Jesus be coming from? From where? Orion. From Orion. That's interesting. Have you ever seen Orion? Let me see if I can get this up here. Okay, there we go. 
There's a picture of Orion. Uh, I wish I had a pointer here. See the star up, up at the top? That star is called Betelgeuse. It's a gigantic star. See the, the star, three stars in a row? There you go, thank you. Three stars in a row? That is the Orion Belt. See the blue star down at the bottom? The big one down at the bottom towards the right there? Who has my pointer? My pointer. There we go. <laughs> right there. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll give you back my pointer when I'm finished. <laughs> uh, how do I use my pointer? Okay. Uh, this star is called Rigel. And here, see that little star right there? Little cluster right there? That's called um, the nebula. Okay? Anybody see anything there? <laughs> well, I know you see things there. But, but is there anyone that sees the glory of God anywhere in this picture? Where Ellen White says... The, uh, that Jesus will be coming out of our high priest? I'm not going to say anything. I just want to know if you have on gospel glasses. <laughs> Raise your hand if you see something. Raise your hand if you don't see anything. No, no, no. Let me roll right. Raise your hand if you don't see something specific. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Does anybody see anything? <laughs> Where's our high priest coming out of? <laughs> the heavens declare the glory. Now, let me tell you something. A few days ago, I'm sitting down, and I'm just like, you know, just minding my business. And uh, I look at Orion. I don't remember why I was looking. And, and I notice the stars, and there's some more stars in Orion. Here's one star right there. There's one star right there. But immediately, this jumped out at me, those three stars. And I was like, hmm, three stars in a row. And, and for some reason, I noticed this star. Man, this star is big and bright. I noticed this star. And immediately, because I am so used to visualizing the sanctuary, it just, like, jumped out at me. And I was like, wait a minute. Doesn't Ellen White say that Jesus is coming from Orion? Doesn't Leviticus 16 teach that our high priest is coming out of the sanctuary to redeem his people? Oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> the heavens declare the glory of God. Okay, that was my one slide. That's it. Child Gardens, page 45, the whole, the whole natural world is designed to be an interpreter of the things of God. Did you hear that? The whole natural world is designed to be an interpreter of the things of God. Continue on page 46. Many illustrations from nature are used by the Bible writers. And as we observe the things of the natural world, we shall be enabled under the guiding of the Holy Spirit more fully to understand the lessons of God's word. How many of you want to more fully understand the lessons of God's word? Where is the book that we should be looking at? The book 
of nature. It is in the book of nature that, we, that God begins to train us how to think so that when we come to his Bible, are you following me? Things begin to add up. And, oh, I see now. Ah, and now when you're explaining this to your friends, you can give them illustrations that will captivate both the child and the elderly. Amen? In the natural world, listen to this next uh, sentence. In the natural world, God has placed in the hands of the children of men the key to unlock the treasure of his word. Wow. The unseen is illustrated by the seen. Divine wisdom, eternal truth, infinite grace are understood by the things that God has made. You got to understand well, let me just read it to you. He, that is Jesus, studied the life of plants and animals and the life of man. From his earliest years, he was possessed with one purpose. He lived to bless others. For this, he found resources in nature. New ideas of ways and means flashed into his mind as he studied plant life and animal life. Continually... Hebrew word, please. Tamid. Continually, he was seeking to draw from things seen, illustrations by which to present the living oracles of God. The parables by which he, during his ministry, loved to teach his lessons of truth, show how open his spirit was to the influences of nature and how he had gathered the spiritual teachings from the surroundings of his daily life. How many of you are open to the teachings of nature? You are in the classroom. How many of you are paying attention to the classroom? <laughs> Ministry of Healing, page 411. Listen. The things of nature that we now behold give us but a faint concept of Eden's glory. Sin has marred earth's beauty. On all things that may be seen, traces of work of evil. Yet much that is beautiful remains. Nature testifies that one infinite in power, great in goodness, mercy and love created the earth and filled it with life and gladness. Even in their blighted state, all things reveal the handiwork of God, of the great master artist. Whenever we turn, or wherever we turn, we may hear the voice of God and see evidences of his goodness. From the solemn rolling of the deep tone thunders. Pause. How many of you, when you hear the deep tone thunder, <laughs> stop and think the glory of God? Or do you, are you just deaf to it like, oh, that thunder. <laughs> <laughs> From the solemn roll of the deep, deep toned thunder and old ocean's ceaseless roar to the glad songs that make the forest vocal with melody. Nature's 10,000 voices speak his praise. In earth and sea and sky, with their marvelous tint and color, varying in gorgeous contrast and blended in harmony, we behold his glory. The everlasting hills tell of his power. The trees that wave their green banners in the sunlight and the flowers in their delicate beauty point to their creator. The living green that carpets the brown earth tells of God's care for the humblest of his creatures. Wait a minute. When is the last time you looked at grass and said, Behold the love of God? 
No? You just mow it. Mm, this thing is, oh man, grass. Huh? Gotta mow this thing every day. <laughs> Uh, 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 the caves of the sea and the depths of the earth reveal his treasures. He who placed the pearls in the ocean and the amethyst and the chrysolite among the rocks is a lover of the beautiful. The sun rising in the heavens is a representation of him who is the life and light of all that he has made. When's the last time you, look, you looked at the sun? <laughs> You're not supposed to. Why? <laughs> Why? Because you're blinded by the glory. Hey, I want to go look at the sun now. No. no. There are things around us. God is trying to teach us how to think in the symbolic. And we are ignoring his grand lesson book. So when we come to scripture, hey, Pastor Moore, how'd you get that? You know, hey, how'd you get that? God is trying to teach us how to read his word. So just think with me now. Luke 12, verse 27. You just write it down if you want to. Luke 12, Jesus says, consider the lilies. John 15, 5, he talks about the vine. Matthew 13, 3, he talks about the sower. Matthew 7, 24, built upon the rock. Matthew 25, 32, sheep and goats. Matthew 3.11, he talks about fire. John 3.6, he talks about wind. What is he doing? He is using the illustrations of nature to teach the deep truths of the word of God. It's all about context. Jesus took the events, the life occurrences, the things with which his hearers were familiar let me give you an example. God impressed this thought upon my mind. He said, son, remember how you used to freestyle back when you were a hip-hop artist? I was like, yeah. He said, what would you do? And, you know, we, we would all, our group, we would get together, and we'd just, you know, get in a circle. We'd start rhyming. You'd point something out, and we'd have to rhyme about that thing and make it match and make sense with what we had just said. So... Point to the lamp, point to the post, point to the carpet, and you have to keep going on beat. And God says, listen, that, that, this is what, uh, this is something similar to what I, I, you know, Jesus would just be in the field. Consider the lilies. You know, you could be sitting on a rock. He'd be like, see that rock you're sitting on? You understand what I'm saying? He just used things. Out because his mind was so adapted to the voice of God, he would look at an object, hmm, that tree. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to invest that tree with the characteristics of Israel. Guys, I'm about to curse this tree and say, leaves grow no more on it. I mean, it's not like Jesus was planning, okay, let me find it. No, boy, he came to a tree and he says, I'm going to use this as an object lesson. How many of you see an electric plug around you anywhere? Electric outlet? Can you see the gospel in that electrical outlet? Raise your hand if you can see the gospel in that electrical outlet. <laughs> what is the gospel in that electrical outlet? <laughs> that was pretty easy, right? You can kind of get the gist of what you're going to be doing in your breakout sessions. <laughs> God wants us to see 
with his eyes. You are in the classroom. Are you paying attention? You know, the great controversy is called the drama of the ages. Have you ever heard that? Okay. The drama. What is a drama? It's a place, something that is dramatic. It's a drama. You know what? Can I tell you something? Um, every sermon that I put together is a drama. You don't understand. When, I, when I'm putting together a message, a Bible study or a message, a movie is unfolding in my mind. Let me explain it to you like that. <laughs> You're still not getting me. <laughs> because that's what this thing is. It is a drama. The reason why the devil has all his movies out there is to keep you off of the one drama that really counts. And so you got to understand when I'm up here and I'm excited and I'm presenting some message, it's because I'm like, and wait till you see what happens at the end of this sermon. <laughs> it's almost like God has, has called us to, 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 to find ways to, to present his message in, in, in you know, ways that should be pulling way people, people into this truth like, as though they were watching a movie. And, and Ellen White calls it the drama of the ages. This drama of the ages will be shown soon and very soon for the whole world to see. As Pastor Bohr pointed out in panoramic <laughs> vision. Think about it. That's going to be a movie theater <laughs> in which the whole world is present, watching the scenes unfold before their eyes. And so the Bible, beloved, is what I'm trying to tell you. It is, it is an exciting book, and God wants, to see with, wants us to see with his eyes, and he says, this is how I want to train you. I want to train you to start beholding the gospel in everything your eyes behold. Seeing the unseen, although the earth was blighted with the curse, nature was still to be man's lesson book. It could not now represent goodness only, for evil was everywhere present, marring earth and sea and air with its defiling touch. Defiling touch. Where once was written only the character of God, the knowledge of good, was now written also the character of Satan, the knowledge of evil. From nature, which now revealed the knowledge of good and evil, man was continually to receive warning as, the as to the results of sin. Child Guidance, page 46. I was on a plane some time back, this is a couple of years ago. You know, I'm sitting on the plane and I'm I'm falling asleep, and they have the big sc the screens right in front of your face. So I'm just like, mm -hmm. <sighs> and I think I fell asleep, and I woke up to um, something on the on the on the, the 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 TV that just caught my attention immediately. It was it was a whale chasing a dolphin. And I'm looking at this, and literally the, the dolphin, I mean, the, 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 the um, no, what did I say, a whale chasing a dolphin? No, a whale chasing a seal, seal or a dolphin, one of them, one of those big ones chasing the seal, okay? And the seal is jumping up out of the water, and literally, I mean, 
You ever seen somebody like high jumping over the, you know, like the Olympics? This seal was like, I mean, I'm about to just like lose my mind with excitement here, okay? This seal is just like jumping, I mean, like, I mean, for his life. And the, 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 the whatever it is, jumping out after him. And I mean, this thing is missing him by like centimeters. And in my mind, I'm starting to root for this, for this little seal. I'm like, come on, seal, come on, come on. You can do it. And in my mind, guess what I begin to think? This is how the devil is after us. Like immediately, my mind just made a spiritual application. This is how the devil is after us, beloved. What I'm trying to tell you is God, normally we say, oh, wow, look at move. Ooh, he escaped. <laughs> God is trying to teach us to behold as much as we can with gospel eyes. Because the more we get used to that, the easier it will be to keep our minds stayed on him. So, we're about to do some examples. Are you ready? Let's take, for example, nature. All right, our first example, nature. I want to read you something from our high calling, page 158. Have you ever thought of winter? Have you ever thought of winter in the light of the gospel? Huh? That's one possibility. So, let, let me read to you what Ellen White says. The Christian sojourn in this world may be fitly compared to the long, cold winter. Here we experience trials, sorrows, and disappointments. But we should not permit our minds to dwell upon these. Isn't that something else? When you're in the winter, when you see snow falling, you see the winter, you know, you can be like, here's the gospel. Wow, this is just kind of like what life is you know, the, the struggle for the Christian. But look at what she goes on to say. Let us rather look forward with hope and faith to the coming summer. Where we shall be welcomed to our Eden home, where all is light and joy, where all is peace and love. So summer, we can be thinking, summer, oh man, that's the glory of God right there. I can't wait for that great and grand summer. How about you? So winter represents, you know, death, dying, uh, uh, summer, life, vibrancy. Let me ask you something. What comes before winter? (gasps) Well, let me ask you this question. When did fall begin? Uh, Let me rephrase the question. When did the fall (laughs) begin? (laughs) Think with me. When does Ellen White tell us the first leaf fell? Uh, (laughs) We need some gospel glasses. (laughs) No, no, no. With the fall of Adam and Eve. Death and decay came as a result of man's fall into sin. And what is sin? It is falling, isn't it? 
interesting that uh, in Matthew 24, Jesus says, and because iniquity, what is iniquity? <laughs> Falling into sin. That's what it did not falling. I don't mean like accidentally. It means you have fallen. You're fallen. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, that's sin. Because iniquity shall abound, fall, the love of many. Winter. <laughs> Are you following me? Because the love, because the love of men, because iniquity fall shall abound, the love of many will wax cold, will bring in an era of spiritual darkness. However, we can have hope that a summer is coming. Amen? Amen. Why? What is the sign that summer is coming? What is the season before summer? You don't get it yet, huh? What is the spring season about? New life. <laughs> spring is the season that things spring forth from the earth. Okay, man, you're making me work hard for this. Jesus sprang forth <laughs> from the earth. It is this springing forth from the earth that brings new leaf. New leaves. Are you following me? And that is what brings us into an eternal summer with God. Gospel glasses. Seeing things in the light of Jesus Christ. Well, what helps spring when, you know, when, when, when things begin to spring up? What is it that causes, helps things to spring up? It's rain. It's rain. How many times have you walked out in the rain and just been like, doo doo doo? It's just rain. <laughs> Listen to what the Bible says about rain. Go with me to Isaiah 55, verse 10. Isaiah 55, verse 10. When you get there, say amen. amen. Listen. For as the rain, what? Cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it to bring forth, or we might say spring forth, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my what? Word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. Do you know when the rain is falling, you should, you, in your mind, man, this is like the word of God just falling all around us. This is what God ultimately wants. The word of God falling all around us, which then gives us a good idea of what the latter rain is all about. What is the latter rain all about? It is about the word of God falling on earth. In fact, notice with me Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 2. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 2, the Bible says here, My doctrine shall drop as the what? Rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as showers 
upon the grass. Are you following me? I didn't hear a whole lot of yeses. <laughs> Hopefully you're in deep thought. <laughs> so when we see the rain, God says, I will keep you in perfect peace. Whose mind is what? Stayed on me. In everything is seen the glory of God. So rain falling down, that's what's going to cause grass to spring up. But wait a minute. Um, how does rain form anyway? Something rises from the earth and fills up in clouds. Prayer. Do we want to bring bright clouds so that God can rain down what he wants? We need to be in serious prayer. Are you following me? In fact, Ellen White says this, a revival in Bible study is needed throughout the world. Praise God, we're doing it here right now. Attention is to be called, not to the assertions of men, but to the word of God. And this is, as this is done, a mighty work will be wrought. When God declared that his word should not return unto him void, what verse is that? Isaiah 55, he meant all that he said. The gospel is to, preach, to be preached to all nations. The Bible is to be opened to the people. A knowledge of God is the highest education, and it will cover the earth with its wondrous truth as the waters cover the seas. Anybody know what verse she's quoting there? As the waters cover the seas. It is Habakkuk 2 verse 14 which is a direct quote of the latter rain, the earth being covered with glory as the waters cover the seas. Do we want the rain of God to fall? Amen. Then it falls as a result of prayer. And what does it fall upon anyway? Grass. When's the last time you looked at grass and saw the gospel? Anyone? <laughs> You know, I remember, um, I don't remember where I was, and I think I was watching this thing about a hurricane that had come through. You know, the Bible talks about the four winds, how God is holding them back. And when he lets them go, what's going to happen? It's going to be like a big hurricane, isn't it? It's going to destroy everything, wipe everything out. And you know something I notice about a hurricane is that when you look at a, when a hurricane comes through, I mean, all these structures are just torn down, buildings, trees uprooted, all kinds of things. And yet the weakest thing, the grass, is unharmed. Wow. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall, but the meek will inherit the earth. Beloved, God wants us to open our eyes so that we may see the lessons of the gospel. When I just came into the church, my friend said to me, hey, listen, what happens if you take a stick and put it in a bunch of burning sticks? I said, that stick is going to burn. He said, good. What happens if you take that stick and remove it from the bunch of burning sticks? And I said, and he said, I said uh, the fire goes out. He said, exactly. Always surround yourself with people who are on fire. And I was like, hey. That was pretty good. And I have never forgotten it. 
A picture is worth a thousand words. I have people who come up to me like 10 years. You know, I've been preaching for, I think, 10 years, 10 years, 10 years. And I'll have people come up to me from like eight years ago. Pastor, you remember the sermon that you did? With it? And I'm like, what? You actually remember that sermon? Pictures. If I were to give you a list of words and say, remember these words, like 20 words. You have five minutes to remember these words. How many of you think you could remember them in, 20 minutes, in five minutes, 20 words? You'd have a hard time. But if you took those same words and made up a story, and, then I, and I said you have five minutes to do it, guess what? I guarantee you that most of you would be able to recite the 20 words in less than five minutes. That's why God taught in pictures, because you could see a picture, an illustration of something, and it would just, the lesson would sink in your mind. Every time you looked at that sheep again, you would get the picture, you would get the lesson all over again with deeper implications. Ever seen a blade of grass coming up through the sidewalk? You ever seen that? And wondered, man, how in the world? (laughs) I mean, there are so many things that God is saying, hey, look at that, consider that. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. We can consider the animal kingdom, the lion, the dove, the snake, the lamb. flies (laughs) it's kind of like satan (laughs) i mean that's why they call him lord of the flies he's irritating (laughs) you understand what i'm saying everything the smallest thing god is trying to open our eyes to think you know uh um the praying mantis how many of you know what what a praying mantis is praying mantis you know why the praying mantis is called the praying mantis it's actually spelled two ways, praying, P-R-E-Y, but also praying. And the word mantis, P-R-A-Y, the word mantis is actually a Greek word which means seer or prophet. And the reason they gave this, 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 this creature the, word, the name mantis is because uh, it, its hands were always in praying form. So they called it prophet. Its hands were always lifted. And I thought to myself, wow. I want to be like the praying mantis. And in fact, doesn't the Bible tell us to lift holy hands? Yeah, kind of like, consider the praying mantis. How about Moses? When he went up on top of the hill and he said, I'm going to lift my hands and whenever I lift my hands, the victory will be won. Praying mantis. (laughs) Consider the praying mantis. (laughs) And whenever he put his hands down, what happened in the battle? He lost. Do you know a praying mantis has been seen, has been known to catch a hummingbird in mid-flight? Do not underestimate the power of praying hands. (laughs) And so when Psalm 18 verse 34 says, He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by my arms. We know that we're not talking about... We're talking about... This is how we war. Praying hands. 
You see that? Consider the praying mantis. <laughs> Consider the ant. Ever had an ant attack in your house? I mean, ants are diligent creatures. It doesn't matter what, when they are after food, I mean, they are just like a one-track mind. They will do anything to get to that food. I think we have many ants in this room. You didn't get it. <laughs> People who have come from near and far saying, I want that food. Amen. Nothing's going to stop me. I want that food. Beloved, I will keep you in He will keep us in perfect peace whose minds are stayed upon him. Amen. When you go outside and look at the sky, the sun, the moon, and stars, you look at this, the stars, we should be thinking what? Abraham's promise. There is a great multitude before us. We have a great work to do. Why am I sitting down just doing nothing when there are stars out there to be one for Jesus Christ? Biology reflects the same lessons. I mean, think about all the object lessons of the human body. God is trying to teach us to see with new eyes. One illustration I love using, you know, uh, the Bible talks about the blood, how, how the blood of Christ is what helps us to overcome. And just like the human body, how blood flows in a cycle. Beloved, if the blood is cut off in our experience, what happens if you sit on your leg for a long time? Why is the church asleep? <laughs> Anybody familiar with thermodynamics? Oh my goodness. <laughs> the gospel in thermodynamics? Yes. <laughs> Let me share with you three laws from thermodynamics very quickly if I can. Number one is this. Uh, uh, thermodynamics states that, that heat in a closed system, heat uh, cannot be lost or gained. It is simply converted. That's, they, they, all, they sometimes call it the law of conversion. <laughs> the law of conversion, beloved, listen, if that is true in the physical realm, it is teaching us something that a true Christian, when a person is truly converted, with as much energy he once pursued the devil is as much energy he will now pursue God. Oh, wow. <laughs> the gospel in thermodynamics. There's another law, and think about Paul. Paul was a zealous persecutor of the people of God. And when he was converted, whew, yeah. That's why, beloved, sometimes the people who are out there doing the most craziest, heinous, you know, just, just doing crazy things, that's why when they come into the church, sometimes they're looking at you like, don't you know the same truth I know? <laughs> it's the law of conversion, and we need to learn a lesson from that. Here's the second law. It says that heat moves from warmer to colder until the entire system or body is heated. Yeah. God desires, beloved, to heat our whole experience evenly. 
Some of us want, we're half warm, half cold, Laodicea. God says, I want your holy. God says, you know, for some of us, okay, I'm hot here, but I'm cold here. God wants to make our whole experience an even experience. Part of that second law of thermodynamics is what's called entropy, that things without maintenance naturally fall apart. Without the maintenance of the Holy Spirit, you may have said 10 years ago, Jesus, I love you. But if the Spirit of God is not maintaining you, if you are not maintaining a relationship with Christ through his word, through prayer, you will fall apart. And there's another law that I uh, uh, discovered in this thermodynamic. I didn't discover it, but it's called the Zeros Law, which actually puts it before laws number one, two, and three. And this law simply states what's called thermal equilibrium. What is that? Basically, it's this. Two objects that, that are at the same temperature do not pass heat. There's no need. They're equal. And I thought, wow. Lord, are you telling me thermal equilibrium happened back there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? (laughs) Yeah. They went into the fire. Nothing happened. Why? Because they were the same temperature as God. (laughs) Thermal equilibrium. (laughs) That's what heaven's going to be about. Thermal equilibrium. We'll be standing on a sea of glass and then go with fire. Nothing. Oh, what? Nice temperature here. In the realm of science, in the realm of nature, in everything, beloved, we may behold the glory of God. Even in everyday life, do you know how many object lessons you can get as you're driving down the road? Try it sometime. You know, we always use, if the cop pulls you over and gives you, you know, our Adventist thing, and gives you a ticket, are you now free to, you know, he gives you grace, and you go, are you now free to go and speed again? You know, the one we always use. You know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) It's an object lesson. There in that everyday life illustration, and it's a powerful one, that is one of the most powerful illustrations I can think of to prove that the law of God still stands. How many of you used that illustration before? When you're cooking, be thinking about the gospel. When you're washing dishes, (sighs) some of us are like pots, burnt pots. (laughs) And the Brillo pad is the spirit. (laughs) Are, Are you following me? These are modern-day illustrations, and and yes, chastening is not fun. (laughs) But at the end, it yieldeth (laughs) the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Everyday lessons, the daily tasks now became full of me. Can you imagine just walking around, yes, look at the pot. Son, look at the pot. When you're ironing, think about those wrinkles. What are, uh, you, you guys took that wrong. You're like, one day I'll have a new body. Oh, boy. 
That's not what I meant. <laughs> well, hmm, I guess so. But Jesus says uh, that he's going to present his church a beautiful bride without spot and wrinkle, huh? Praise God that he loves us. Because <laughs> I guess we are kind of wrinkled, huh? That's what sin does. It wrinkles us. But you see, while you're ironing the gospel, the Greek, you, the things are just flowing through your mind. You're keeping your mind what? Stayed on him. Whatever your occupation is, is are you a lawyer? Consider, the, consider yourself a lawyer of the word. Be a detective, like Pastor Bohr said. You know, a firefighter, whatever you're doing, a doctor, a nurse, if you work at Staples, which I did, <laughs> whatever you're doing, make the application that God is trying to get you to see. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, speak about, um, speak about uh, um, help me here, running the race. Running the race. Can you imagine Paul likens this, this process of salvation as running a race? And beloved, when you begin to put things in context, I just did a sermon the other day at my church about the, at the, about the seven churches. And that each one of those churches, it's like they were in a relay race. Ever seen a relay race? And it's like each one of those churches has its own candlestick. And at every generation or every church, it passes it on to the next one. And by the way, um, what runners, who are the fast, the, where do they put the fastest, run, fastest runners in a relay race? In the beginning and at the end. See, the first church, Ephesus, started out, yes, they were excited about God. Kept the faith, all those things. And you know, the middle runners, they kind of slowed things down. <laughs> Smyrna came along, began to get a little turbulence. By the time of Pergamos, they're just like, yeah, paganism, come on in. <laughs> Fourth church, they are just letting Jezebel, te they, have, they have slowed the race down. Fifth church, they're picking back up speed. Sixth church, picking back up speed. And the seventh church, the reason why God is so like, Laodicea, what are you doing? Is because we're like, oh, we got this thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God is like, no, you're the last leg. Think about this, beloved. God makes Laodicea the last context. Context. How many runners can you reach with the gospel sharing, the, sharing in this context? You understand what I'm saying? So, so God makes Laodicea the last leg, but you say, wait a minute, God, how could you make us the last leg? Don't you know we're the weakest generation? Listen to this. Why does God make the weakest generation the last leg? Yeah. But, but listen to this, something deeper than that. I mean, that's deep. Amen. Praise the Lord. But there's something else. See, the first man to get the torch was Adam. Adam was perfect, perfect environment. He was to be the man that could outrun the devil, no problem. And when the devil got Adam and Eve, the first leg of the race to trip up, he's like, God, come on, man, look at this. This is your best, God. I just took your best and beat your best. How are you going to answer that, God? 
And so God takes <laughs> his weakest. Not in an Eden environment, but in an environment that is known as a time so troublous, there's never been any other time like it. And God says, here's how I'm going to answer that. I'm going to use the weakest generation. To bring the torch across the finish line. Mercy. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. We were at GYC the other day. Um, the other day. Last, uh, yeah, December. How many of you were at GYC? How many of you were in the, uh, the, the hotel where the alarm went off in, at mid, uh, in the middle of the night? You remember that? Some of you remember that? You know what? When that happened, a bunch of things started going on in my mind. Man, you know, all the, I, we got out there and I see all these people that are usually like, hmm. Yeah, you know, three o'clock in the morning. Drool. And I'm like, man, this is kind of like the ten virgins. You know, Jesus is coming at midnight. Man, when he comes, I want to have my garments ready. Sleep ready. Sleep ready. Beloved, you understand? Don't let the lessons just go by you. You everything. Everything reveals in one way the great controversy or another. You think about school. We're, we're getting ready to wrap that. How much, what, uh, uh, how much time do we have? So you mean it's an hour already that I've been speaking? Oh, man, I'm supposed to give you guys like a half an hour of... Let me try to... All right, ready? Relay race has begun. All right, um... Here's one, my passport. Um, I went into, uh, I was traveling somewhere. You know, I actually just became a United States citizen like within the last uh, couple of, uh, no, last like six or seven months or something like that. Okay, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But, but anyway, before that, you know, I, I'm traveling, I'm traveling on my Jamaican passport. And, um, and uh, when you're traveling with Jamaican passport, you must also have uh, like a social security card or something like that. And my social security card was so just destroyed. The, the, the you know, lamentation was coming up. So I was like, I mean, the lamination, the la lamentations. <laughs> that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. <laughs> you get the picture? Okay. So the thing was peeling off. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to relaminate this. So I relaminated it not knowing that you're not supposed to relaminate like that. So I'm going to the, you know, I'm, I'm you know, get, getting my, um, going through security or whatever, and I hand the guy my, my, my um, social security card, and he looks at it, and then he looks at me and he says, what did you do to this card? And I was like, oh boy. Uh, and I was like, um, I just changed the lamination. He said, you're not supposed to do that. And he asked, it's against the law. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't know. And, and he, you know, said it, it needs to be changed or whatever, but know that you can't do something like that. And when it happened, I thought to myself, man, how many people are expecting to get into heaven with a counterfeit passport where the fourth commandment has been changed, but God is able to see it? What'd you do to this? 
this is not my version of the commandments. The Bible says, blessed are they that keep his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the what? Gates. The Ten Commandments is the passport to the city of heaven. Object lessons in every experience of life. Are you getting the picture? You can think about lessons from school, classroom, left behind, finals. Pop quizzes, summer school, he didn't get that one. <laughs> Those who went to summer school? Those who what? Those who, no, no, oh, I'm sorry, don't raise your hand, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, nobody in here, but summer school was usually if you flunked or failed a course, right? All right, well, it was for me. <laughs> Not that I ever went to summer school. But. No, so yeah, yeah, yeah. But some people who actually failed had to go to summer school. And so when you think about it, beloved, you think about this whole process of school. God calls us to enter into the school of Christ. He calls us to learn at his feet. He calls us to be in the divine classroom. He gives us pop quizzes. And there is a final coming up. And those who fail the final... Uh, I'll leave that one with you. Whew. Do you know, good, we just have a few more illustrations to go here. Um, do you know that Paul even used counterfeit um, things to illustrate divine truths? Even Jesus. You know when Jesus talked about the parable of Lazarus and the rich man? And he talked about this whole thing of him going to hell and, you know, this was a, 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 a popular, uh, uh, you know, um, untruth in those days. And Christ used that thing as an illustration because his hearers were familiar with that story. Same thing with Paul when Paul talked about the unknown God. And, and Ellen White tells us that Paul, uh, uh, you know, shocked the people, the Gentiles, showing how familiar he was with the stuff they were familiar with. And in that context, beloved, we can begin to see that, that, that God says, even in the things of error, I want you to see the great controversy. Example. Um, when I was back in the world, I had a uh, uh, my, I had a crew of friends, you know, yo, right? All that. And it was like 40 of us. And we were like, yeah, you know, anybody mess with you, they're going to mess with me. We're going to fight and all that, right? And uh, the name of our crew was called X-Men. <laughs> X-Men, yeah, that's X-Men, right? So now I leave that all behind and I become a Christian and, and God begins to show something to me that says, listen, son, this is who I really want you to be. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the term uh, Xmas? Xmas, you know what that means? Christmas. Do you realize the word X was the Greek letter chi, which was used to signify Christ way back in the day? Xmas. Lord, are you saying 
that you want me to be an X-Man? <laughs> yes, I am an X-Man. <laughs> yes, I am. You know, and I think about it, how many X-Rappers and X-Cave Dwellers? Yeah. And, and X, all kinds of things. God calls his, God, God is calling so many X's. You understand what I'm saying? I'm a Christ man. That's what a Christian is. And the Lord told me, okay, this X-Men stuff in the world, that's just a counterfeit of something genuine that God has for his people. You understand what I'm saying? I used to be a martial artist. And then God showed me, you got to come out of that. And I remember I left it all behind, and I was like, man, you know what? No more martial arts for me. And then I began reading stuff in the Bible where Paul talks about fighting against flesh and blood and about how he, he, uh, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood and discovered that this wrestling was actually a Greek martial art called the pancreation. And I was like, Lord, are you calling me to, to be a spiritual martial artist? Yes! <laughs> And then I was like, well, Lord, let me check it out a little bit further. And I went and actually found in the book of Genesis, do you know that the Bible says that Adam, the Bible says that Cain was trying to, was getting angry with, with, with Abel. And it says of Cain, God comes to Cain and says, Cain, uh, uh, why are you so angry? Uh, don't you know that if you do well, uh, you, you'll be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lying at your door. And I remember thinking, wow, what does this mean? And, and, and I looked at another translation where it actually means what he was telling Cain was, Cain, don't let sin uh, uh, rule over you. You rule over it. Do you know that word rule in the KJV is the Hebrew word mashal? <laughs> the word means to rule over or to dominate. Cain, dominate sin. Rule over it. Don't let it rule over you. Fight against it. And what did Cain do? Instead of spiritually mastering himself, he physically fought his brother. And then it began to make even more sense because you know what? Cain studied under the dragon. Dragon style. <laughs> Abel studied under the lamb. How do we know that? He was a keeper of sheep. <laughs> Cain studied the sheep, and in the characteristics of the sheep, he beheld his Savior. I'm sorry. I'm just making sure you're paying attention. Abel studied the characteristics of the sheep, and in the sheep he beheld his Savior. Amen. Amen. God calls us to study under the Lamb. Many of us know dragon style real good. <laughs> Drunken monkey or something. <laughs> God, Jesus in his day, took the popular things and made illustrations so that their hearers who were familiar with these things could understand and make it applicable in their own time, and that's how he reached the people. Two more illustrations. Did you know that the, uh, uh, how, how many of you can tell me how the sanctuary operated? Here, save time, I'll do it. Person came in, 
to uh, the sanctuary. He, he, was, he was guilty of sin, laid his hands on the head of the animal. What happened to him? What was he doing? Confessing his sins on the animal. And then what would happen? The animal would die. The, the sins were now in the blood. The blood would be taken, sprinkled, sprinkled on the altar. This happened every day throughout the year. And then one day of the year, the high priest would go in and do what? Cleanse the sanctuary from all the sins that, were, that had been piling up. Do you know that there is an illustration of the sanctuary that each one of you go through uh, every week in your very household and you never thought about it? In your household, right before your face, the glory of God. Every day, you have garbage in your house. You take that garbage, you know, paper plates, uh, and you put it in your where? In your garbage pail. Okay? Uh, your house is now clean. Amen? But where's the garbage? It's in the trash can. So, praise God the house is clean, but you're going to take that garbage out on a nightly basis, and you're going to put it where? At the side of your house. Now your house is fully cleansed of the garbage. Or is it? In a sense, yes. But in a sense, no. Where is the garbage? It's still with you. It's outside at the side of the house. Now, one day of the week. <laughs> And you know what a day that is. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say this. <laughs> but that day is a tough day for me. <laughs> because many times I forget. <laughs> I would forget so often that the garbage truck guy would just wait for me. <laughs> I wake up in the morning and I hear the truck. Oh, God. Okay, so one day out of the week, what happens? You take all the garbage that has been accumulating throughout the week and you set it out at the front. Why? Because the garbage truck man is coming to take the garbage. Where does he take the garbage? To a desolate place. <laughs> Then, and only then, can you say, ah, the process is complete. The next time someone argues with you about the heavenly saying, about the sanctuary and the cleansing, give them that illustration, and they will never forget it. And they'll be angry every time. They go, oh, it's not true. And maybe one day they'll be converted, like, okay. You know, it all started when I heard this illustration. I was so mad for the first time. I didn't take the garbage out. Just let it stay there. <laughs> Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. One more illustration, and then what I'm going to ask you to do is, is simply this. I want you to take the next couple of, you know, you're here today, just, just start thinking. You understand what I'm saying? You're walking out, as a, consider the sidewalk. You know, just, just start thinking, Lord, help me to think in this way. 
Open my eyes so that I can continually see the gospel unfolding before me. Does that sound like an exciting thing? And beloved, listen to me. When you begin to do that, you will then come back to the word of God and see things that you've never seen before. Here's our final illustration. Um, day unto day uttereth speech. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us this. If any man be in Christ, he is a new what? Creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Day unto day uttereth speech. What speech? It utters the glory of God. We should be able to look at the days and see the glory of God. How many of you believe that? Now, if we should be able to look at the days and see the glory of God, I want to I suggest something to you. I want you to notice what Ellen White says here. Revelation 13, H, her, her, her statement on this is, is, is as follows. It was sin that imperiled the human family. And before man was created, the provision was made that if man failed to bear the test, Jesus would become his sacrifice and surety that through faith in him, man might be reconciled to God. For Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. What she's saying here is that God already had the plan of salvation in mind before planet earth was created. If that is the case, could it be possible that in the very days that God created was the DNA for the plan of salvation? What are you talking about, Pastor? Listen to me. If you were to go through the days of the week, could God have put a message in the days of the week that speak of the glory of God? that speak of the process of salvation, that speak, speaks of the plan of salvation. Listen to me. Beloved, when you, before you come to Christ, what are you in? You're in darkness. You're without form and empty. Void. Was that the state of humanity? When Christ came upon the scene? Is that the state of humanity before Christ comes into our lives? Guess what day one says? After the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep, the Bible says that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Anybody ever remember the Spirit of God moving upon you when you were in darkness? Oh, wow. And then God said what? Let there be light. Day unto day, other speech. Let there be light. What is the light? Listen to me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Go there with me quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. What verse is he reply? Is he uh, uh, speaking of here? Genesis chapter 1. That's when God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. What has he done? God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Beloved, that glory of God in the face of Christ 
is none other than Jesus and him crucified. The Lamb of God slain for the foundation of the world. Day unto day, utterance speech, beloved, in that first day is encapsulated the entire plan of salvation. Man in darkness, Spirit of God moves. God says, let there be light, and he is the light of the world. When Jesus comes into your life, something powerful happens. Day two says the waters were separated from the waters. Is anybody seeing? Is anybody seeing? What are waters in the Bible? People. Beloved, when Jesus comes into your life, he pulls you away from the old crowds. He pulls you away from the old friends, from the old associations. The waters are separated from the waters. On day three, the Bible said, dry land appear and God said, let there be fruit. Is anybody following me? When you, when Christ comes into your life, he does these things. He says, he, he calls you out from your old associations. He, you begin to bear new fruits. And day four says he put a greater light and a lesser light. <laughs> your attention has now been focused on heavenly realities. Remember what the greater light and the lesser light was? You remember that? Yeah. The word of God and Jesus Christ. These are now the center of your life. So then, when a, when a person was in darkness, when Jesus comes into his life, three things happen. He separates from his old acquaintances. He now bears fruit, and Jesus is now, the, and the word of God is now the center of his life. What happens on day five? Fish and the birds. Fish and birds. <laughs> Fish. And birds, I want you to turn with me quickly, if you will, to the book of, um, of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 12. Listen to what the Bible says here. For man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. Are the fishes and the birds out there snared? Are there men out there who are trapped as it were? What does Jesus tell us when he says, come follow me? After you've been born again, and after you've come out of the world, and after the word of God is the center of your life, and Jesus is the center of your life, what does he say? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Could it be that God in the creation week was already sending us a message just in case you fall? I have a way back for you. By the way, what happened on day six? 
two things. God made man in his image. And he gave him dominion over the beasts. Over the whole earth. Do you realize that God's ultimate goal is to recreate man in his image? Which means that he must have dominion over the whole, over everything earthly. Listen to what Ellen White says. And we're getting ready to close here. Those who receive the seal of the living God. By the way, what is the seal of the living God? The, the Sabbath. What day is the Sabbath? Listen. Those who receive the seal of the living God and are protected in the time of trouble must reflect the image of Jesus fully. <laughs> Just as on day six, man was made in the image and had dominion over the whole earth, the last part of the plan of salvation is man recreated in the image of God, having victory over every earthly thing, and then comes Sabbath. Rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and our heavy laden and I will give you rest. Day unto day uttereth speech. Day unto day uttereth speech. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. How many of you are excited <laughs> to go get in your cars, <laughs> to go take a walk? <laughs> To go wash a dish. <laughs> May our minds be trained to see the glory of God. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stay seated after we pray. And I, I so apologize for not giving you the, the opportunity to, to break out. I'm speaking again on Sabbath. And on Sabbath, we're going to take those opportunities to break out. And you are going to put these things into practice fear not neither be afraid all right amen let's pray heavenly father we thank you once again lord for opening our eyes lord help us to see the glory of god that is manifested in so much around us teach us lord to see as you see to think as you think and to teach as you taught. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This message was recorded and produced by Power of the Lamb Ministries. Our mission is to help prepare God's people for the soon coming of Jesus Christ by pointing to the supernatural power of the Lamb of God that gives us the experience of victorious Christian living. For more information on our multimedia resources or inquiries on speaking engagements, please log on to our website at www.powerofthelamb.com. 
That's www.powerofthelamb.com. Or you can call us at area code 805-226-8080. That's 805-226-8080. Thank you and God bless.